This podcast contains our own personal views not associated with any organisation. Cronial contains descriptions of death in quests that may be graphic and disturbing to some listeners. Discretion is advised. It's just nothing anyone would have foreseen, I don't think. All three skydivers lived in Mission Beach. Peter and Kerry collided with Toby as Toby's main parachute was prematurely deploying. There was a reason he was so close to them, but he shouldn't necessarily have been directly underneath. He would have been going in an upwards direction relative to the tandem pair who had not deployed their parachute. The manufacturer's recommendations warned that packing the wrong size canopy into the racer could increase the likelihood of a premature pack opening. Welcome back, everybody, to Coronial. I'm Georgie. I'm Alice. I'm Emma. So the next part being how do we work on this? How do we regulate this and recommend things? You guys have both sort of talked about the Australian Parachuting Federation, the APF. (laughs) Not the AFP. So I'll just quickly touch on there were a number of different like authorities that are involved in regulation of skydiving, mm. which I also enjoyed because it actually is legislated by the Civil Aviation Act, which I was ah. like, oh. I mean, makes sense. I suppose you have to use a plane to skydive. Unless you're base jumping, but that's totally It's something different. flying and using up airspace. aviation space. And you can't have yeah. a plane nah. in the same airspace as Absolutely skydivers. Not. Yeah. yeah. Apart from a plane that drops them. And then there's also the Civil Aviation Regulations. Oh, and the civil aviation safety regulations. But realistically, a lot of this is then like essentially overseen by the Civil Aviation Safety Authority or CASA. And basically they provide regulation to the skydiving industry. So then they sort of feed back to the Australian Parachuting Federation. But then in conjunction, the Australian Parachuting Federation might make regulations to the members of that federation, but in consultation with CASA. And so obviously if any of those regulations breach statutory framework, Cass is going to be like, yeah, no. We don't yeah, consent to no. you. <laughs> just no. Having that regulation. It's just two bodies working together to essentially come up with reasonable yeah. regulations. And then the Australian Parachuting Federation actually has the main regulation that is talked about in this inquest is the operational regulations, which is like a 37-page document that is essentially all members should follow these specific regulations. And then there's a few other sort of like side guidelines and that kind of stuff, but they don't become relevant to this inquest particularly, such as like a jump pilot manual and some other regulatory schedules. That's how that kind of all works. So ultimately, APF, they actually came up with their own recommendations that they presented to the coroner when they had completed their inquest, which, as I said, was conducted by the National Safety and Training Manager. And their four recommendations were reinforce to all jumpers the dangers of being positioned during freefall either directly above or below skydivers. So I guess directly above. Technically, Kerry and Peter could have moved out of the way. But anyway. Yeah, because they would have seen They had more visualisation. Yeah. Yeah, because they would have been belly to earth. So they they would have literally been looking down. But anyway, I didn't really actually talk about whether they should have moved. But I hadn't really realised that it said above and below. I'm like, oh, yeah, the people above could have moved. Yeah, yeah it's a good point. They could yeah. have. Yeah. yeah. Standardised main parachute packing training. 
particularly in relation to the main canopy size and compatibility with containers, which I guess we haven't super touched on, but there are very, very strict regulations about what to do about a reserve parachute. Yeah, I think I mentioned that in yeah. one of mine, but there wasn't but as much. To very do with minimal main. around the actual main parachute because the assumption is your reserve is the one that you need to have the regulation around. Because it doesn't get used. But if I'm parachuting, which I'm never going to be, <laughs> ideally I do want my main to work as well. Yeah. I prefer to not have to rely on the reserve. reserve yeah. <laughs> Just personally. And I do wonder if there's a thought of like the main parachute gets deployed every single time you jump. Fair. So, every so it's getting time repacked you jump, and all you're that kind of stuff. it, you would notice if there's any defects or tears. Yeah. Whereas a reserve parachute ideally is just staying in its container, not being touched. Used. Yeah, fair. So that was sort of my thought as to why there'd be regulations on the reserve and not yeah, the main. Yeah, true, true. Well, I would just assume that there's more strict regulations on the reserve because it is your last line of defense. Yeah. <laughs> it's and so if it, But it surprised me that there wasn't a lot on the main. I think is more my concern. No, I kind of understand it. Like if you're going to put – the Regulation. time and effort into something. Make True. it a reserve <laughs> if it's your last line of defense. True. Like you want it to be. True. Fair. Because if all the regulations go into the main and none into the reserve, then. <laughs> no, yeah, I want it to go into both because I want to know that my main is also okay. I mean, that's the intent like <laughs> uh, 99% of the time, but then sometimes things it go doesn't wrong. Work. And that's and why that's you what, have that's a reserve. Yeah, fair. yeah. Educate the jumpers on the importance of maintaining equipment and appropriate standard for any freefall orientation rather than just the traditional belly to earth. Which didn't really then touch on like standards around if you're like if you're allowed to Well, if you're not belly to earth, what you should do. Just flip yourself over. (laughs) Well they just sort of said educate jumpers on the importance of that, but like then didn't really say much more about why or how. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, and then probably for the reasons we've touched on. That it's dangerous, but again, like it didn't really discourage it. It just said there's a, a higher risk, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then operators introduced standards for solo equipment used in the commercial environment, which, like, this was a real crossover because he was on a solo jump, mm. but then he interacted with people on a commercial jump. Yes. I guess it sounds like that happens not infrequently, but... Yeah, it sounds like if there's a space. But yeah. whether if there's a space and you can go for a free jump, whether lots of people then interact with the others or whether they yeah, just go they have just their, their free own. jump. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So there was no specific regulations dealing with your position in terms of separation when you're doing a jump involving relative work or flying as the tandem camera flyer in a tandem pair situation. But many witnesses, as I think both of you have mentioned, knew that in the industry you probably shouldn't Mm, do that. As an alternative APF document, there was also a tandem-endorsed guide which did state a jumper should never pass underneath. But there was no other like specific regulation in like that operational regulation. And that tandem endorsement guide did say that that is not recommended because it specifically creates the risk for collision. Along with not passing directly below, the main APF operational regulations also stated that a parachutist must not engage in relative work with a tandem instructor carrying a tandem parachutist Unless the parachute holder is of at least a certificate class C, which is at least 100 skydives, which we've talked about, Toby was well over that. But along with that, they should also have the authorization of the drop zone safety officer. Now, I don't think either of you guys have specifically mentioned a drop zone safety officer, but it sounds like they are an individual that works for the organization that has a lot of safety and organization oversight to the specific commercial company so in this instance skydiving australia 
and the, there is a regulation that you need to have a drop zone safety officer and that they need to be doing X, Y, Z within right. the organisation for its safety. And I'm pretty sure it mentioned that the plan wasn't originally for Toby to complete relative work with Peter and Kerry. Like, Absolutely. That wasn't – when they were on the ground, that was not the plan, but yep. the plan between yeah. the two of – well, the three of them changed at some point. Yeah while they were walking to the plane or got in the plane. Yeah, so it suggested the- that potentially it was on the bus on the way before yeah. they then got on the plane and ascended. And so part of the regulation was both the drop zone safety officer and the town instructor, which so therefore there was implied consent but not necessarily written yeah. from mm-hmm. Peter because people that were around understood that they were jumping together and the fact that they jumped a second apart implied that yeah. they yeah. had. It was intentional. Yeah, yeah. But obviously, yeah, he didn't get the consent of the drop zone safety officer yeah. because they already left. They weren't yeah. at the drop zone at the time that they could do it. But because of, as you have mentioned, Emma, how professional everyone understood Toby to be, mm. they suspected that like he would otherwise be asking for consent had that been planned prior. Yeah, yeah. And so that, that's a bit of a aware. flaw in that regulation in terms of because, yeah, that plan might be made after you've already left yeah. that area. The drop zone safety officer who had been working on the day said that had Toby approached him and asked that, he absolutely would have granted it anyway. Yep. And then it's not like it was done with malice or poor intent by not approaching that. Toby otherwise would have done that had that plan have been made. And again, like you wonder like how many other times this has happened where they've decided. Yeah. Prior, like or after yeah. being able to contact the drop yeah. zone safety officer that they want to do relative work. And again, it might just be that. But it officially breaches said regulation that they're meant to. But again, it's that normalization of deviance. Exactly. <laughs> it's we've done it before and there's never been any issues. Yeah. yeah. So Exactly. And what harm would it cause generally? Yeah. None. None. Yeah. Interestingly, one of the witnesses at the inquest did suggest that it should be prudent to obtain the informed consent of the student. Sounds like she probably would have given that consent. It sounds she, like she, she did. Friends, like, yeah. Weren't they she talking would have about on the bus? But it should be written and documented yeah. because they are signing so much. Yeah. They are the vulnerable individual in the yes, situation. They don't have the experience. And or the there skills. should be evidence that they consented to that and that that probably should happen on the ground in writing before yep. they go up. And I guess, and so so I guess one, that one was a little witness bit fair. said this. I get that, but like also hindsight like yeah i'm sure this particular witness skydiver has probably done stuff like this in the past as well oh i agree i agree but it does seem fair to me that if they're signing all that waiver around how much this could risk their death that waiver probably should be like i am yes happy or not happy for someone to come and interact with me in the air prior to them going up to having that that the same of them having themselves videoed and them being interacted with in the air with someone taking video footage of them did they have written consent for that? I don't know. Yeah. Like, I think sure. that's what it's implying, but. Right. I don't know. Yeah, I'm unclear. But yeah. Because they're technically doing this. Well, they're maybe not like fist bumping or shaking yeah. hands. Yeah. So they are getting, getting right up well. in their yeah, yeah. faces. Yeah. And yeah, there was no requirement for that. So ultimately, the coroner was like, yeah, we probably, I probably would recommend that you get yeah. written consent from the student and that you are being more cautious or conscious about the fact that they should be getting consent on the ground before they go up. At the inquest, the Pike family, whose surname was Pike? Was that Kerry's? Kerry. Yeah. So Kerry's family actually requested that solo sports divers be prohibited from undertaking relative work with tandem skydivers. However. Mm, like, I understand that. Like, maybe with tandem skydivers where there's a student, but if are they saying all tandem skydivers? Like, yeah. regardless of whether there are two expert skydivers yeah. jumping tandem together? Nah. 
Yeah, like I guess yeah. they didn't differentiate <laughs> that, but yeah, essentially the coroner also agreed was like it's relatively accepted in the industry. It's a good way for education and for them to learn how to be doing that. And then, yeah, the camera operators, mm-hmm. you know, are there to record things and all that kind of stuff. That And that it should only be experienced people that are interacting in that way anyway. So people oh, that have yeah. at least 100 jumps in the APF regulation that you mentioned before, Alice, yep. versus Skydive Australia required at least a D license, which is 200 jumps as well anyway. Yep. Yeah. So Skydive Australia does continue to allow employees and contractors to undertake sports jumps if there's available space on the plane and then allows them to still interact and do relative work in that way. Yeah, I I completely agree with this. Mm -hmm. As we've already mentioned, this is a very risky sport and if people have the experience to be able to do these sorts of things, undertake relative work and interact yeah. and things like mm. that, they should be able to do it Yeah, knowing that there is risk involved. Yeah. yeah, and it would be planned to the extent that the reason you're jumping out of the plane so close to each other in time is yeah. so that you can do you that can do relative yeah. work. If you're not going to, like, you're not you would have jump agreed on that beforehand. You're not going to jump yeah. out immediately after and be like, oh, wait, yeah. I want to do this. Yeah, And that's not to say I'm not sympathetic to Kerry's family's point of view. I do agree that although Kerry might have been Fine, and given her consent orally, she may not have understood exactly the implications of it. And so, yeah, doing it before you leave, but also having it properly explained to you. Mm -hmm. But also, like, not in a pressured situation when you're already in a plane. Like, you've got, you know, your friend who you're tandem jumping with and his friend, and they're talking together about being really excited about it. And then as you're, like, leaving the plane, they're like, we're going to jump together, yeah? Exactly. Like, I understand that. Yeah. So coroner basically was like, yeah, I should probably just make sure that you get written informed consent yep. of those students specifically. But people are doing their own sports jumps or as we've talked yep. about, like uh, professional frequent skydivers, then fine. Like they are doing a high risk sport, mm-hmm. at which point they're probably aware of the risks of the relative work jumping, but the student may not be yep. as well. And that, yeah, that could just go along with the waiver. So it's not that hard to incorporate in terms of the standard procedures along the way yeah so next in terms of the parachutes and packing and standardizing the packing of main parachutes and then also information around solo equipment that doesn't have nearly as much regulation because it's their own personal gear mm-hmm. the apf regulation stipulated at the time the parachute system must be inspected and have its reserve parachute repacked every 12 months As per the APF operational regulations, a parachute airworthiness certificate is required for a reserve parachute and confirms that the parachute has been independently checked and should not be worn unless it has this certification that it's airworthy. Yeah. Yet there's no such requirement for main parachutes, as we've kind of already touched on. Yeah. And then, as we've also touched on, all the main parachutes are then manufacturer-specific. And in terms of then the APF trying to educate people or encourage people to make sure that they're all compatible and whatever they have an online service bulletin which states parachute packing must be carried out in accordance with the manufacturer recommendations and then provides a number of like additional links and resources for various manufacturers so that people can then go and check that yeah but then they also have this caveat on said page of every effort is made to maintain and update the list but the apf makes no claim that it's either definitive nor exhaustive yeah and so the users are then advised to contact manufacturers or federations or clubs or other regulatory bodies if they've got concerns about their equipment and how they're going to pack them. So it basically is like 
do it correctly, but also it's hard to do. <laughs> yeah. And then it's really your problem to deal with. So yeah. just do your best. Yeah. So, like, I can understand why Toby wasn't able to necessarily figure out whether his pack was compatible. Yeah. Like, again, we don't know how much, like, he looked into it, but it was clearly not an easy task to just, like, look this up in Happy Days. Yeah. Yeah. I I guess they found it in the inquest, but I don't see the average person. Well, I mean, Mm. the coroner found that on the paper, the precise parachute that was used in the precise container that were used were incompatible. That's just based on the manufacturer's guidelines, nothing else really. Yeah. Is okay. what his findings were based yeah. on. Fair. I don't know. Yeah. I think about when I buy things and I'm like, do I read the instructions? Yeah. But do I do that and then jump out of a plane? I was so, going to say it depends yeah, on the risk on what involved. You're doing. Yeah. What I'm doing. Yeah. And then additionally, parachute assembly may comprise of components from a number of different manufacturers. So yeah. it then becomes more complex depending on how many extra components from Harry's various manufacturers. And then how compatible one manufacturer is with another and the large worldwide availability that there are of parachutes now as well. That makes it, again, the parachutist becomes the one with the ultimate responsibility for determining the airworthiness of it, especially when they're jumping in that sports environment where Mm -hmm. they are responsible for their own equipment. Yeah, it's just like anything really like any sport that you're doing solo like you're always responsible for your own equipment equipment your own yep. car your own whatever yeah but i guess less so when you're then packing a reserve because there's more strict mm, requirements around that and someone has to be checking over that those things are compatible mm. yeah and i suppose it's like i don't think there'd be very many people who would be skydiving without the support of a company like even if you're doing your own solo dive. Yeah. You know, you probably don't have a friend with a plane who's just going to fly up and you're going to jump out. Yeah, like, exactly. so they would be checking yeah. the certification of that reserve parachute. Yeah. It's not like, oh, you can just pretend you've got one and keep using it. Yeah. Because there would be people who would be checking that you've got yeah. it before you jumped. Yeah. Except if you own a piece of show fair equipment <laughs> and you just fudge your registration. <laughs> yeah. Throwback. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> <sighs> That's the first thing that came to mind. <laughs> so it is known and documented in the Federal Aviation Authority Rigger Handbook. Riggers are just one of the checkers of parachutes that are very high level and high trained and so deal with checking of a lot of the reserve parachutes. Mm-hmm. Um, that mismatch components are among the most frequent problems found in the field and that many... Riggers are under the impression that they can freely interchange component parts, but this may be done only within certain limits. Specifically, when various parachute components are interchanged, the parachute rigger should follow the canopy's manufacturer instructions as well as the container instructions. However, the container manufacturer's instructions take precedent when there's conflict between the two. Okay. And that finally, of lesser or greater pack volume, then the intended design criteria for the specific size container should not be installed. Yeah, so don't yeah. use a parachute that's too, too big, big or too small. Yeah. yeah, because of the concern about the improper functioning. Mm-hmm. So the APF regulations, as I sort of mentioned, leaves the responsibility on the individual. However, there's also the secondary responsibility on the drop zone safety officer to ensure that there's a reasonable system in place to ensure that equipment is compliant. So... Basically saying that they are responsible for ensuring defects in equipment are reported to the packers and riggers working at each site. And then each training organization is required to keep 
an equipment log of parachutes used for descent by students, tandem instructors, and tandem parachutists. So note that that doesn't technically state sports jumps. Yeah, right. And so therefore there's no operational regulation prescribing a process for checking sports jumps equipment and that ensuring that it's fit for purpose. However, there is the requirement to check the reserves. And so they sort of talked about, well, what do you do when you check a reserve then? And essentially when they check a reserve, it's mainly around checking that it's in date and that it's been checked within the previous 12 months. And then if they've got an automatic activation device, the AAD, that it's not past the expiry. So they wouldn't have really necessarily looked at the compatibility between the two and that issue with the I'm having a mental blank. Closing the, mm, closing. the closing loop, yeah. <laughs> because they're anyway, not taking it out. Yeah, they're not taking that to unfurl it all and then no, pack it all back exactly. in. Exactly, yeah. they're just saying that they're just going to look at it, be like, "Yep, it's been checked. Yep, it's yep. within twelve months, and they've got an automatic activation device." Yeah, and so it was hard to tell whether they would have necessarily picked this up for his anyway, mm. and that there's no regulation or requirement to notify the drop zone safety officer of like if they've downsized or changed their equipment anyway in that canopy. You do have to have your parachutes checked on the first visit to a new drop sign, along with your licenses, etc. So when Toby had started diving at Skydive Australia in Cairns in Mission Beach, he would have had to have had it checked. But it sort of talked about like, well, he's a hugely experienced skydiver. Mm. So it actually may have been that he was probably more experienced than the riggers when he first started there anyway, mm-hmm. or potentially right. was. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of them potentially would have been also looking to him for advice on how right. safe it was. Yeah. I also wonder how hard would it have been if like a rigger picked it up and was like, mate, this is not right. How easy would that have been to approach that as well? And in the end, it was his own personal equipment. Mm-hmm. Even if someone did mention that to him, but he was comfortable with it, he'd be like, that's, That's fine. It's yeah, fine. It's yeah. fine. I'm I pack my it. own. Yeah. I'm happy with it. Yeah. And so they felt that like most people would have just accepted what he has packed. Yeah. Because he was so experienced. There was also no requirement to keep any records of these inspections when they first started in user op zones. There was no in- like record of Toby's being inspected in the first place. Yep. That in theory, when they first arrived to a new drop zone, should be checking all equipment, not just a parachute. So like the helmet, the shoes, the jumpsuit, etc. Yep. Like the harness that yeah people are wearing yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And so in theory, that would have been the ideal time to pick up mm-hmm. on the closing pin, change of pressure. But again, that's not to say that he didn't show up to the drop zone with a different yeah, pack different and parachute. then change. Mm-hmm. But then there's no regulation to notify anyone that he's then changed to the downsize. Yeah. Mm-hmm parachute and all that kind of stuff as well ultimately the coroner did therefore accept or conclude that there should have been the opportunity to identify the incompatibility based on the fact that it should have been checked on the first time that he came there Mm -hmm. and that that was in december of 2016 assuming that he had in fact been using the same parachute Mm -hmm. the whole time yeah so the final recommendations that ultimately came out of this inquest from the coroner was that and these are really lengthy and quite wordy, so apologies. The initial certification process of the equipment should occur by the most skilled packers and riggers at that drop zone, and then ongoing inspection and review of equipment should be implemented mm-hmm. by various appropriately skilled personnel. The coroner recommended that this should be considered to be incorporated into the APF 
regulations by way of a mandatory six monthly equipment checks of all sports rigs used in any drop zone. The, the checking process should be documented. I really am a big fan of documenting things. <laughs> yep. <laughs> just personally. Proof. Yeah, because I was just like, ah, no one really knows what he was doing or how yeah. often he'd done it or whether it had been checked in the first place. Yeah. That these should be standardized with a checklist or something for all drop zones across Australia rather than just being like a suggestion. Let's just like actually mm. make a checklist of what you should do and what is important. Because I think one thing that came out of this was like a lot of the expert witnesses who were very involved in the skydiving industry when they were reading these operational regulations had some varied understandings of mm. what they actually meant yeah. or how to interpret those right. points. And so the coroner was like, let's make this very standardized, mm -hmm. very make clear, yep. no misinterpretation in any way whatsoever. Mm -hmm. The next recommendation is proof of certification must be provided by the skydiver to the drop zone safety officer prior to undertaking the first jump using that equipment at any drop zone. So kind of increasing that like regulation of not just like the first time you show up, but the first time you use said equipment. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Because, yeah, you could get a new parachute. Yeah. But it's not been checked because you've been going there for How, years. Yeah. And that, again, that this equipment check should comply with APF regulations along with CASA regulations, mm -hmm. especially when it's a sports diver using their own equipment, that there should be a certification that the equipment is airworthy, either like because they're using a manufacturer-produced equipment, so like it all comes from the one manufacturer and it's all standard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or if you have change portions or got portions yeah. from various manufacturers that a rigger or a packer a which are the highest classes of people that can check things have certified that it's okay now interestingly for me that still means that because you said there was conflict between how people have assessed even toby's mm -hmm. rig there's still a potential there for some individual mm -hmm. understanding it's hard to standardize that specifically unless mm -hmm. you're using one that's entirely one manufacturer set to be together yeah those riggers or packers could still potentially define things as safe different to what someone else might have defined mm -hmm. but yeah. i guess at least that's still better than what's currently there mm. and then if there's any modifications that there should be some certification around that again with the most senior people providing said certification and that this should be all written and documented the coroner then recommended that along with these initial checks that there should be six monthly checks and that the APF could also consider implementing something like a buddy check that even was used on a day-to-day -day basis to check our equipment and make sure that it's safe, which I think is a lot. And I think that that's hard. And I think that'll be really difficult to implement in a commercial organization. But if those sports jumps maybe are happening far less, then that might be more manageable. Mm, but yeah, I still think that's a one. lot. Yeah. Especially if you pack these all day, every day. Yeah. And it's the same thing you've used. Like if you're getting it checked once every six months, I think that that's probably enough if you're doing the same thing day in, day out. Mm. Or at any point you change something. But I guess because it's so high risk, maybe a day to day because you've packed it slightly differently today and that it could make yeah make such a difference. difference. Mm. But Emma, you've also been like you've got a reserve there for redundancy. So yeah. like if your main shoe is not packed appropriately, you've still got a spare. Exactly. So it's really hard to know what level of regulation you need for both. 
you just don't want to get to a point where this becomes inaccessible. Well, I mean, it's probably quite an accessible sport anyway, but like it just becomes yeah. too overly regulated that people aren't going to want to do it. Yeah, mm. I definitely agree because it seems like a lot of extra work. Mm. Basically, because Casa and APF had like been working so closely with this inquest, a lot of this was kind of in the process of happening, although maybe not quite. The coroner was a bit more heavy on the regulation than they had already implemented. But it sounds like CASA was already improving their regulations by way of further regulating commercial tandem operations as well as the sports parachuting community with regards to standardizing equipment and airworthiness of parachutes and that kind of thing. So it was already happening. Yeah, it seemed like the skydiving company they were as well being very proactive in terms of once the yeah. accident happened. Yeah. They were looking at updating their procedures. Yeah, even so before Skydive, the inquest went. Australia through. had already implemented a new sports gear check procedure that stipulated how sports equipment should be used in skydiving with some sign-offs as well for instructors and every six months needing that to happen. But the coroner just provided that there should be a little bit extra in terms of that regulation, in terms of its wording as well because it didn't really specify stuff around the tension on the closing loop and that that should specifically be mentioned in there. Yeah. The coroner also recommended CASA look into scrutinising the requirements for keeping logbooks and developing a process to ensure informed consent from all participants as well. Mm -hmm. And, uh, sorry, talking about keeping logbooks, the coroner was kind of like, well, we should look into how you can make sure that you can access Mm -hmm. them in the future should there be electronic records like we mentioned in this case for like job logs and stuff so that if there is that there is better transparency to act Mm. like what they had been doing and then the last little bit that i have recorded in mind because this is the first time i've seen anything like it in the inquest and i thought i'd read the quote out was that the coroner said to the family of kerry peter and toby this process may not have eased your pain or answered all of your questions please know however that you have been heard. Go gently as you move on and find a way to heal your hearts. Which is yeah, a very it's really nice. personalized, lovely part of the inquest that mm. I enjoyed. I wonder if not, maybe didn't necessarily know them. Yeah. But like, but it's a tight knit community. Yeah, yeah, small community. I don't know where the coroner was based, but. They're the northern coroner of Queensland, so I think it sounds like they were based out of Cairns as well. Yeah, so potentially they knew this community. Yeah, the community or yeah. someone who was involved somehow. Or, yeah. yeah. But I haven't seen nearly as a personalised message as that. Like mm. I really appreciate a lot of the coroners go into detailing the person who was involved, like that the inquest is about. Yeah. Yeah. Because – you've got to acknowledge that these are individuals that have lost their lives and that we're trying to learn from that. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good sentiment in terms of we're trying to improve. Yeah. We're hoping to prevent this from happening again in the future. It's definitely an interesting one. Split second. Like, yeah, that's all it took. It all changed in that split second. Yeah. Whilst, you know, there was concerns about his parachute, we don't think it had happened before. Even though we'd used the same parachute. This wouldn't have happened if it wasn't in that, like, one-tenth of a second where he was directly underneath the tandem pair and that's when the parachute happened to accidentally deploy. That is just just insane. The coincidence of that is... And that two people can collide in the air at such a velocity because (laughs) 
up until his parachute deployed, they were probably traveling at a similar, similar velocity. Speed. Yep. So, yeah, yeah, initially I was like, how did they die from that? But when you talk about yeah. the speeds that they were going, it's like, okay, yeah. it was just the relative speed. Yeah. And I think it was mentioned very early on yeah. in the inquest that they say there was a fatal collision in the air. And I'm like, no, I'm going to need you to spell yeah, this out for me more. more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thanks to team working. I think it was really interesting that mm. we all could uh, collaborate together. Yeah. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye.